The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB. And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz. Oh, there goes the Daverhood. Welcome, everybody, to Dave's Gone By. Music, talk radio, and comedy, we do it every week, have been doing it since October 2002, and we continue to do it thanks to the auspices of WGBB AM 1240 in Freeport, with live audio web streaming at am1240wgbb.com, and through the grace, good taste, and money, 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 money of our sponsors, Hewlett Minuteman Press, for all your copying and printing needs, Quiznos of Hewlett, for all your eating desires, and TotalTheater.com, for all your questions about Broadway and beyond. It is Thursday, September 30th, 2004. Happy Sukkot to all my Jewish listeners. Happy Autumn to everyone else. And happy music tonight on Dave's Gone By. A month ago, I had a great thrill and honor to interview a living legend of modern folk music. A man who has been writing and singing song after good song going on 41 years now. He's the one and only Tom Paxton, and we had a delightful conversation about his early years and how he can tell a good song from a bad one and what it's like to keep being a recording artist and a live performer four decades after you've begun. And I'm proud to say the interview went really well, as I hope you heard back on September 2nd. If you don't believe me, you can buy a copy of that program on CD and listen for yourself. More on that anon, but because I played a lot of music and I had other segments to get to, I was only able to fit less than half of the conversation onto the show, which really didn't do the interview justice. And I wanted to do part two the following week, and I already booked another interview, and then I was off a week for Rosh Hashanah, and then last week, Rabbi Saul Solomon filled in for me and did that terrific interview with cabaret singer Dottie Berman. So... This is the first week I can finally go back and play you more of my talk with the great Tom Paxton. And I will play a little more of his music, of course. In fact, I was lucky enough to hear his music in a live gig at Joe's Pub three weeks ago. He did nearly a two-hour set accompanied by Eric Weisberg on banjo and pedal steel. And as Paxton had said on my show... His live set makes sure to include the classics everyone expects, like uh, Last Thing on My Mind and Rambling Boy, plus songs from his most recent album, Looking for the Moon, on Appleseed Records, and short shelf life songs, short ditties written a la Mark Russell or Tom Lehrer to goof on news events and, and politicians worth skewering. After the performance, Tom signed CDs, including mine, and he proved as affable and gracious offstage as he was on and on the air with me. So tonight, a continuation of my very special chat with Tom Paxton, plus Inside Broadway, our weekly look at what's new and exciting in New York theater, and this week, something old and exciting, a revival of a critically acclaimed 1971 musical by Melvin Van Peebles. And then... Also tonight, in this jam-packed episode, 
the return of the news gone by. A look at current events from a daily show meets Harry Shearer meets weekend update point of view. Bunch of stories tonight about nasty stuff coming out of people's mouths. Gum from Britney Spears, words from Jimmy Swaggart, and halitosis from cell phone users. So stick around for the news gone by in just a minute or two, after I remind you that this episode is rated DGB-13, the days gone by equivalent of the movie's PG-13. Actually, this episode is closer to DGB-PG. It's pretty tame, but if I suddenly develop Tourette's and start cursing in Portuguese, I'm covered. And we will cover the news story of the week with the news gone by, right after this. Oh my God, the wedding is next month. We need flyers, invitations, booklets. Irving, we are screwed. No, we're not, Pearl. We'll just go to Hewlett Minuteman Press. Hewlett Minuteman? What can I do? Printing, engraving, letterhead, souvenirs. Wonderful. Are they still at 1315 Broadway in Hewlett? Yep. 516-569-5577. Well, stop dawdling. Let's go. Yes, dear. Day after the wedding, I kill her. Wake up the club on My radio's on, the news is off, that, but it's good to relax. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. On this Thursday, September 30th, 2004, it is time for the news gone by. A look at events of the past week from a Pax Vobici perspective. We begin with religious idiot news. Televangelist Jimmy Swaggart, yes, he's still around, and he got into some hot water last week when he said on his TV show, that he would kill any homosexual who looked at him romantically. Here's the actual quote. Sorry about the low fidelity. This is a real audio clip from the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. Swider is talking about gay marriage, which, surprise, he's against. And he says, I got amazed. And there was much rejoicing. What's with a heavy breathing, too? Is it like he's so head up, talking about gay guys giving him the eye, he can't keep his Bible in his pants. And if you couldn't hear the words, I'll read the quote again. Jimmy Swaggart said, I've never seen a man in my life I wanted to marry. And I'm going to be blunt and plain. <laughs> if one ever looks at me like that, I'm going to kill him and tell God he died. Unquote. 
Unkind letters from gay groups followed, as you can imagine. They forced Jimmy Swagger to come out and explain, well, not come out, but just explain, that the phrase, killing someone and telling God he died, is actually a, re a regional colloquialism he uses all the time. Which makes me want to go back to the 12,000 TV shows he's done and see if he's ever used it once in any other context. But I do believe him. I'm sure the phrase is kind of like losing my religion or bite my ass and call me Charlie. And I believe Swagger that he wasn't being literal. I, he didn't mean that the next queer who made goo-goo eyes at him, as if, would get a bullet through the eyes. But still, it's a pretty effed up thing to say during a church service. And what the hell is an abomination anyway? An abomination? I guess the Palestinians, you know, because they, they make all those bombs in their nation. Anyway, Swagger was forced to offer a half-hearted apology, to which one human rights leader responded, quote, Apologies don't discourage violence, action does, and Swagger's language only encourages an environment where hate crimes occur, unquote. And remember, this is the same dirtbag back in the late 80s who cheated on his wife and did that big I have sinned against you speech, and he spent the previous years bringing down other televangelists for their infidelities, like Jim Baker and Marvin Gorman. So Gorman turned around and nailed Swaggart for screwing prostitutes. Actually, he tried blackmailing Swaggart first, but Jimmy was too cheap to pay up, so Gorman spilled the beans to the media. And then Swaggart confessed his sin, all to all the world, cried like a baby, begged forgiveness, and two years later, he was pulled over by the cops for driving on the wrong side of the road with a whore in the passenger seat. Now, I think Jimmy's deep-seated fear of homos can stem from one of only two things. One, inside every porn-addicted, hooker-stooking televangelist, there's a flower-arranging, sailor-filating, sissy boy screaming to get out. Or two, swaggered, sounds a little too much like faggot, for any 10-year-old to get through junior high school without getting his ass kicked, or kissed. I'm not casting aspersions on anybody, but watch next time Jimmy Swaggart looks at Jesus on the cross. Is it me, or is he really just trying to steal a peek under the Savior's blood-soaked loincloth? Speaking of which, freak accident last week on the main square of San Onofrio, Italy. A 67-year-old woman was killed when a giant metal crucifix fell off a building onto her. A nearby priest said, Well, it's sad, but it does give new meaning to the phrase, Cross my heart and hope to die. In celebrity news, gone are the days when A.J. Weberman used to go through Bob Dylan's trash, looking for discarded lyrics and clues to his genius. But famous people are still fair game for garbage collectors everywhere. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about a guy trying to sell, on eBay, a cough drop half-eaten by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, according to the Associated Press, a bunch of people are on the website selling used chewing gum, spat out by compulsive gum chewer Britney Spears. People would be, like, backstage at her concerts or videotapings and grab the gum after she jettisoned it. 
Now, the Spears Spearmint is considered a collectible. One seller is asking $26 for a wad he found outside her Los Angeles home. Another is asking $53 for a piece he found at a concert in Wembley Stadium. Yet another wants $1,000, and he challenges buyers to put the gum through a DNA test to prove it belonged to Spears. Asked if it was rather unsanitary to be auctioning Britney's pre-chewed gum, an eBay spokesman said, you know, we checked, and of all the things Britney's put in her mouth in the last five years, gum was the cleanest. In nutritional news, according to a survey by the California Milk Advisory Board, Americans are eating more cheese than ever. In 2003, our fellow countrymen gobbled 8.8 billion pounds of cheese, more than 30 pounds per person per year. Experts say the increase comes from Americans doing more traveling, they're tasting delicacies abroad, and then wanting to buy them back home. They also say cheese became cheaper to produce since the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. After all, suddenly, there was a huge influx of curds. Yes, 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 it's been weeks since we've heard that sound, but the dairy cow has found her way home and brought with her the comedy bell. The bell that signals that Dave's gone by. Bad pun of the week. You remember, we ring the bell whenever we make a play on words. So not Gouda, so Mozart-wretched, so monstrous that we ring this bell to say, Oh, how I love cheeses. Havarti, I'm fine. Havart you. Oh, the comedy bell is working overtime this week to remind you that Dave's Gone By doesn't live on cheese alone. And I'll be honest, begging for money drives me crackers, but I gotta do it. Gotta ask for your ads, your financial contributions to keep Dave's Gone By going. Our 100th episode is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Barring catastrophes, the first Thursday of November will mark show number 100. And between this week and next starts our second year on the air. Dave's Gone By premiered October 6, 2002. And since then, we've had wonderful guests like Karen Grasley and Art Paul Schlosser and Todd Robbins and, of course, Tom Paxton. We've done sketches, comic monologues, serious conversations. I know a lot of people were surprised and touched by the interview with firefighter Al Fuentes a couple of weeks ago. And also the recurring features like the World Weird Web and Inside Broadway for theater lovers. And, of course, the news gone by. People look forward to this program and they remember the advertisers and sponsors who help keep it going. Brand identity is a powerful thing. And if you link up your product, event, or service with Dave's Gone By, the long-term rewards for your business can't be beat. Prices for half a minute or 60-second ads are downright cheap, especially considering the Long Island reach of this radio station. Not to mention that people listen to Dave's Gone By live all over the world via the Internet. So... Whether you have a local restaurant or a travel agency halfway across the country, this is the place to get your message out to my listeners. If they hear your ad week after week and they like and believe what you have to offer, 
They'll come to you when they need that pair of shoes, or that sink unclogged, or that wheel of stinky cheese. 516-295-1511 is the number to call. 516-295-1511 to advertise on this program. You can see the right card at davesgoneby.com or email us directly, davesgoneby at aol.com with any questions you have. 516-295-1511 or davesgoneby at aol.com. You can even make it a Feta Compli and sponsor the Dave's Gone By Bad Pun of the Week. Don't be good, be ponderful. Hey, speaking of uh, stinky cheese and other odiferous things, the latest wrinkle in cell phone technology is smell phone technology. Reuters reports that a German telecommunications company has developed the first mobile phone that alerts users when their breath is bad. That's right. A microchip in the receiver can detect both halitosis and offensive body odor. The phones are being fine-tuned at the moment, as they do have a rather cruel way of alerting the user to his or her problem. Apparently, the phone goes directly to a busy signal, beeps three times, and then a voice says, If you'd like to make a call, please hang up and take the phone out of your ass. Finally, in media news, CBS TV was forced to pay a record fine, more than half a million dollars, for the Super Bowl wardrobe malfunction that exposed Janet Jackson's right boob. No word yet on how much CBS will have to cough up for exposing a butthole on 60 Minutes. Then again, Dan Rather can probably pay the fine himself. And that's the news gone by for September 30th, 2004. Please send your comments, opinions, and blue-veined cheese to Dave's Gone By. P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. Dave's Gone By. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. And also email me, davesgoneby at aol.com. D-A-V-E-S-G-O-N-E-B-Y at aol.com. We reserve the right to read your comments on the air, name withheld upon request. So, send me your thoughts, your gifts, your free product samples, but please, no gum chewed by a 22-year-old Britney Spears. I liked it better when she was a dentine. Back with Inside Broadway, after this. And that was news, if that was news, that was very, very, very special news. I need more Dave! Oh, I hear that all the time. Once a week is not enough, but you can get all the Dave you want on CD. Dozens of complete episodes, just $14 per disc, shipping and handling included. And one more dollar for a personal autograph. Dave's Gone By CDs come with jewel cases, photos, liner notes, makes a great gift. So, for more info, check our website or email davesgoneby at aol.com and ask for the CD list. Thanks, Dave! Inside Broadway, brought to you by Total Theatre's Performing Arts Insider, your everything theatre guide. There are old-fashioned musicals, and there are new-fangled musicals, and then there's Melvin Van Peebles. From the beginning, he was a Renaissance man, writing novels in French, and then debuting in Belgium with his first musical, Harlem Party. He made his first major movie in 1968 with La Permission 
the story of a three-day pass, followed by his first album, Rare Soul. After that, he'd go from music to movies to television to theater, and it was easy for him since he had secured his place in film history with the enraged, streetwise, and highly influential Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. And that same year, 1971, brought Melvin Van to Broadway with Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death, which is about as telling a title as you're going to get. Remember, it was the early 70s, post-hair, with an explosion of black theater, gay theater, even experimental theater on Broadway. The wild years didn't last very long because most of the shows failed, artistically and commercially. Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death was a commercial disappointment, but it wasn't a loser for critics, who nominated the show for seven Tony Awards, including Best Book and Score. Whereas the movie Sweet Sweetback is now hailed as the granddaddy of black exploitation cinema for its grit and anti-white revenge motif, Ain't Supposed to Die is an even edgier slice of life. Classical Theater of Harlem is reviving the show, and here's what their press release says about it. Quote, a gutsy, lusty narrative of black street life that explores every aspect of ghetto agony. Junkies, whores, pimps, lesbians, drag queens, sweating workers, crooked cops, prisoners, lovers, and dreamers, ain't supposed to die a natural death is considered a tradition-shattering and trend-setting work. Unquote. Certainly, the influence of the show can be felt on everything from the angry rap of Public Enemy and N.W.A. to the mournful choreo poems of Enfazaki Shange. No, this is not Rodgers and Hammerstein here, or even Rado and Ragney. Song titles in Ain't Supposed to Die include Come Raising Your Leg on Me, Lily Dung the Zampoogie Every Time I Pulled Her Coattail, and Put a Curse on You. Oh, just a side note about that last song. When I was in NYU film school, we were all making little 16mm movies, short silent films with music backing them. Kind of like music videos, just when that era was dawning. And one black student did an urban, angry, annoying experimental thing using Put a Curse on You as the soundtrack. I had never heard rap or this kind of spiky, non-melodic, aggressive seemingly non-musical music before. And I remember another student turned to me and whispered, I put a curse on this film. And we both had a nasty little laugh. It took years later, after my exposure to more kinds of sounds and musical styles, to approach Van Peebles stuff again and go, whoa, there, there's a musical aesthetic there. Not something I listen to all the time, but in context, this is street music full of vigor, despair, and fury. And it's back on stage, as I said, at the Classical Theater of Harlem, directed by the theater's artistic director, Alfred Pricer. The only name in the cast you might recognize is Ralph Carter. Ring a bell? Really appropriate casting if you think about it, because Carter played Michael, the militant younger brother of J.J. and Wolona on TV's Good Times. Carter's grown up now and appearing in Ain't Supposed to Die and Natural Death, opening October 1st for a run through Halloween uptown at the Classical Theater of Harlem, 141st Street and St. Nicholas Avenue. Will the show have good times, or will critics sing it a badass song? The best way to find out is reading Performing Arts Insider Theater magazine. Everything about off-Broadway, Broadway, cabaret, opera, and dance, Performing Arts Insider. They stuff nearly 50 pages 
with facts and figures and insights and the excitement of Broadway. Call 516-295-1511 or visit TotalTheater.com. Dave's Gone By listeners get 10% off their monthly subscriptions or if you just want the latest issue, call 516-295-1511 and order it for $10, nearly a third off the regular price. But at any price, it's the best theater magazine around. Performing Arts Insider. Finishing up Inside Broadway for this week, we have an amber alert of sorts. Broadway's Hairspray has a new Amber Vaughn Tussle. She is the prissy young villain of the piece, and Jordan Ballard takes over the role from Tracy Jai Edwards this coming Tuesday. Also new in the show on that date, Bruce Valanche, the portly munchkin-like comedy writer. He's got the plum part of Edna Turnblad, a.k.a. the Harvey Firestein role, recently taken on by that fine comic actor, Michael McKean. Blanche has been playing Edna on the road for a while, so he should be ready for Broadway. Though, of course, neither he nor McCain nor Firestein will ever erase the, me- ever erase the memory of the original Edna the Divine Divine. And it has been Divine bringing you this edition of Inside Broadway, courtesy of Total Theater and Performing Arts Insider. In the weeks ahead, Golda's birthday, a wicked anniversary, and Mary Louise Parker gets reckless, all on Inside Broadway. We've just been Inside Broadway with Total Theater and Performing Arts Insider. Dave's gone by, and the continuation of my interview with the great Tom Paxton, where last we left off, we were talking about the early years, and then him signing a record deal with Elektra. He released seven albums for them, including the beginning ones, which were just basically guitar and some banjo and a little bit of bass, and then progressively they added more instruments and got a little more ambitious and a little more varied in the style of song that he was doing, and uh, also, of course, the music scene was changing around him, going from folk into rock and roll. So uh, I wanted to pursue that subject of the changing sound of his music and the music around him. In recent years, you've gone back to a much more simple folk 
sound, but it, it was opening up towards the mid-60s, at least on the albums, if not in concert. And I was wondering if, if again, that pop influence came in just so that you could hear different colorations and different instruments. Well, he, on you songs. know what I like? I've, I love working. Uh, I love working with uh, Jim Rooney. Uh, Jim produced uh, the album I did in '95, I think, called um, uh, "Wearing the Time," and then mm, he yeah. produced the live album um, called uh, "Live for the Record," mm-hmm. which we did here in Alexandria at the Birchmere. And then he produced um, Looking for the Moon, uh, the newest studio album, which um, got nominated for a Grammy. So all of those albums were done very simply but very fully. I mean, we always had um, magnificent players, uh, guitar, dobro, fiddle, uh, mandolin, and bass. And you can get a lot of color from from, uh, those combinations. And... uh, I also like the one that I did uh, with Ann Hills. Ann uh, co-produced that, and uh, that has a lovely sound to it as well. I, I, I'm curious. Um, You've been doing a lot of work with Ann Hills for a bit. Is she a singer in her own right? I had not heard of her except for your oh my albums. God. Yeah. Oh, you got to get some of her albums. As you could hear on the album we did together, she's one of the best singers in folk music. And she came and from a folk or a country background? No, 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 or? folk. Okay. Actually, jazz way back, but folk. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knows a lot of country stuff, plays banjo, guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, the Appleseed album called Best of Friends, which came out not that long ago. Yeah, it's it's an album of a concert that Ann and the late Bob Gibson and I did in Chicago in 1985. We had a group for a couple of years called Best of Friends. And she's on that, and... Uh, I just think she's one of the best singers there there is, and a great writer, too. If you're coming in the summer, you'd be better to split off on 35. There's this starlight driving movie on your left, just beyond the county line Right after that you'll see two silos One is silver, one is blue About a quarter mile further make a left on the highway 42 And follow that road Follow that road Cornfields as far as you can see. Far as you can see. Follow that road. Back through time, back through distance, back to me. If you're driving by in autumn, you should follow up the river to Bear Lake. the time to see the colors and there's an old covered bridge you'll want to take late at night be careful just be sure to watch for deer out on the road and if it's early in the morning sometimes it gets foggy take it slow 
Follow that road. Follow that road. Sugar maples far as you can see. Far as you can see. Follow that road. Back through time, back through distance, back to me. If you get the notion in December to drop by for just a day, there's that tiny little road that no one knows about. It's safe to go that way. It's up between two fields, so the sunlight melts the ice by a. See two houses by the feet. Someone's always there. If not, they'll be back soon. Just follow that road. Snow is just as far as you can see. Follow that road. Back through time, back through distance, back to me. How the puddles looked like pieces of the sky, falling down by the roadside to delight any stranger passing by. The softness of the grass on Raven Hill, where we crowded stars all night. You must know how. And that any way you get here is all right. Just follow that road. Wildflowers just as far as you can see. Follow that road. Back through time, back through distance, back to me. Just follow that road. Follow that road. Follow that road. Hi, everybody. This is Tom Paxton, and you're listening to Dave's Gone By. On WGBB. I'm going to play sort of, um, I won't say a game, but since we're talking about other people, I would love to hear your thoughts on the, the, the careers okay. and songs of some other folks. Such as, let's see, we'll start with Tom Waits. Tom Waits, I haven't heard enough of. I mean, he's, he's kind of under my radar, but what I have heard, I think, is really wonderful. Um, uh, you can always tell a, a, a great writer when when you hear a song and you can't imagine anyone else having written it. Mm, yeah, that's that would be him. So now I think he's a, a, a very top top type of songwriter. Neil Young. Neil Young. Um, I like his simplicity. Um, I don't listen uh, much to uh, folk rock or anything like that, but um, I've never heard anything of his that I didn't like. Tracy Chapman. I thought she was terrific, but it really bothered me very, very much that she uh, 
set about very consciously uh, distancing herself from uh, the folk music uh, community. As soon as uh, she had a hit, she began, you know, poo-poo. She was not calling herself folk or anything. When that means she came up through the folk coffee houses and stuff like that. Bothered me, you know. And now and then, what, you know, interviewers ask me, you know, uh, they say, you know, what do we, what do we call you, a singer songwriter? I said, no, call me a folk singer. I mean, that's what I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what she was, and uh, bothered me that. But the talent is is magnificent. And what about someone I think who may have stayed a little close? Well, no, not really. She's she's kind of branched out. But um, Suzanne Vega. Oh, wonderful. The vision, the uh, imagination, the uh, artistic courage. I think she's uh, she's uh, absolutely tops. Okay, here's here's kind of a curveball. The Beatles. Nobody better. Because why? Um, range. I mean, you hear them, you know, when, when, when the Beatles wanted to rock and roll, there was no doubt about it. I mean, they were a hell of a rock and roll band. And then they just kept growing and growing and growing. And, and um, their, their uh, lyrics kept getting uh, deeper and uh I, mean, I hear something like uh, Eleanor Rigby, and you know, that's so well crafted. And I, I use um, uh, yesterday as, as a model uh, when I'm teaching songwriting of uh, here is a perfect pop song, which is uh, a a b a form. You can't get any better than this. This is it. And it could uh, be a folk song too, technically. Yeah, I'm Rocky, Rocky Raccoon. All right. Yeah, I like Rocky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan? Yeah. Um, I don't I don't like Bob as much as I used to. Um, I know this is the this is the kind of thing that we hate to hear when we say it, but I prefer his earlier stuff. Um, I thought that Bob got, you know, pretty caught up in the messianic um Well that was that's already about almost twenty years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, have you, you time out of mind and some of the more... I mean, he went back and did two folk albums. Yes, he's a beautiful writer. And I also have a lot of respect for his commitment uh, to uh, making music. I mean, he's still out there touring. And, uh, so, you know, I have a lot of respect for Bob. It's just that uh, I haven't felt close to him for a long time. Well, at, at a certain point, I mean, not to dwell on it, but you were coming up through the right... Do you have any anecdotes? You must have spoken to him or been on a couple of bills with him or something in the early, early, or no? Or me? Yeah. No, we we knew each other. I mean, we were very friendly uh, for a long time. And then, you know, he moved away, I moved away, you know, he did his thing, I did my thing, so I never saw him. Uh, I haven't seen him in at least ten years. Oh, well, but in the early, I was, I was thinking more in terms of the, the, the early 1960s. When oh yeah, we were perfectly friendly, and we even uh, made up a song one day when we were walking from the village up to Forty Eighth Street. Uh, he needed to get a harmonica rack or something like that, so we started making up a uh, very politically incorrect uh, talking blues about uh, Central Park mugger. Oh my uh, gosh! And we got through about you know six verses or something of it, and uh, neither of us ever wrote it down or anything. And you don't, do you remember anything? A line uh, under the oh, it was um, it was a it was a takeoff on the talking union blues. Right. So I mean, it was 
the first verse was pure uh, just change a word. It was uh, you want to be a mugger, tell you what to do. You go to Central Park and you pay your dues. And, uh, <laughs> I can't remember anything more about it. It was uh, it was goofy and 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 you know we were killing ourselves laughing at our own wit and everything. But uh, believe me, it, <laughs> it it died a merciful death. Um. Let me ask you, uh, getting away from specific people for for a, a moment. Um, I talked to Neil Sedaka on this program a, a couple uh-huh. of weeks ago. Um, another uh, great writer in a different vein. A and very different vein and an absolutely top-to-bottom professional. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, I have... I don't listen to pop music because I only have a certain amount of time where I can listen to anything. So I choose to listen to folk and classic. But... Uh, I have a lot of I have a lot of respect for people like Neil Sedaka, and a lot of my friends down in Nashville are you know absolute hired gun songwriters. They are they write for the market and they succeed, and uh, you know they they make a lot more money uh, than I do, and they have a lot of fun. And I cannot do that. I mean, I even tried a couple times to write the way they do, and I I can't. But uh, Someone like Neil Sedaka, uh, at the Grammys this year, I, I met Carol King, which was a lot of fun. Oh, wow. To meet her. She was, um, she was getting a uh, Lifetime Achievement Award with her husband, uh, or her ex-husband and writing partner. And I just think that kind of songwriting is so, you know, it's terrific. I mean, they write songs like, you know, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? You know, they, they, those songs will always be sung. And just the way you know folk songs can be sung, they they are their own kind of urban folk songs. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I, actually, the reason I I brought him up was one of the questions that I asked him yeah. was about, and he was very honest and and uh, interesting in his answer about he was one of the hottest singer songwriters, hit makers in America for uh-huh. a couple of years, the whole Brill Building thing. And then along came the Beatles, and along came the Rolling Stones and sure. the West Coast Sound, and suddenly he found himself like the whole jug. He was on top of the mountain, and very quickly they took the rest of the mountain away. Yeah. And what do you do you know, when you have this hot career, and then you've still got to go on with your a young man still? Yeah. So how did that, I'm, not to say that it quite happened in the same way for you, but there you were in the heat of the 1960s, the protest movement, the Vietnam movement, and then 1970 kicked in, sure. and you did the seven albums for Elektra, and then perhaps America wasn't as interested. You know, it, it moved towards a different kind of singer-songwriting, like no James Taylor. Yeah. So what did you do? I mean, did you feel it? Well, did you if, you're really me, if you're yeah. me or a bunch of my friends, you ignore that and you just keep doing what you do. And, I mean, we always found there was enough of an audience there for us to continue to perform and record, and, and you know, as long as you didn't have any illusions about uh, uh, selling a million records or anything like that, uh, uh, Utah Phillips said very well. He says, you know, you you can't get rich in folk music, but you can make a living. Did you ever meet Woody Guthrie? Did you ever make the pilgrimage? No, no, in Jersey uh, and... I grew up uh, 26 miles from his birthplace of Okima. I lived in a little town in Oklahoma called Bristow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started hearing his songs when I went uh, to the University of Oklahoma. Um, I never knew him while I still lived in was high school or anything like that. Um, 
And when I came to New York, uh, Woody was uh, already in the hospital, had been in the hospital for some time, and was uh, never going to come out. So uh, once, uh, when Bob, uh, when Bob first came to New York, I guess it was in '61. Um, he asked me one day if I wanted to go with him to see Woody because he was going pretty regularly, and I said no. I, you know, I just would feel bad about having him have to, you know, have another person see him in that kind of condition. So uh, I passed on it. I've never really regretted that. Uh, he wasn't probably what he had been twenty years ago. No, no, he was in terrible shape. Yeah. You know, he had no control over his limb. That's just. <laughs> years later, I did a a, a, a public service television uh, thing for the Huntington's Korea Foundation of, of uh, our association in Massachusetts, and and we did it at at, at the hospital with some of the the patients, you know. And it was uh, it was it was hard to take. It was hard to take. It's a nasty, nasty disease. Right, and I think Arlo dodged the bullet, and he he was worried about getting because he yeah, had like a Arlo had, shot. Um, there's some kind of a window that, you know, after a certain age, if you haven't got it, you're not going to get it. And he's made it through that... Uh, yeah, he's made cool. it through that window. I mean, for years there, when he got a cold, we all just, you know, panicked. But, uh, Actually, one thing I didn't uh, even ask you yet is... I mean, I, I asked you about a whole bunch of uh, musical people that I thought are, are interesting. Who were the folks that you were listening to when you first started to... To be a songwriter, and who were your oh, well, the first one, the first one was Burl Ives. Oh. Um, I could actually get a hold of some of his recordings, and uh, I loved him. I mean, I started out by learning things like the Blue Tail Fly, you know, and the Streets of Laredo, and you know, the r- right down the middle of the road kind of uh, uh, hom- homogenized folk songs, you might call them. But I still like those songs a lot. Sure, Go Tell Aunt Rhody, you know, things like that. When I was young, I used to wait on Master and give him his plate And pass the bottle when he got dry And brush away the blue tail fly Jimmy crack corn, I don't care Jimmy crack corn, and I don't care Jimmy crack corn, and I don't care My master's gone away And when he'd ride in the afternoon I'd follow after with a hickory broom The pony being rather shy When bitten by a blue tail fly Jimmy crack corn, I don't care Jimmy crack corn and I don't care Jimmy crack corn and I don't care My master's gone away And then when I got to college I started hearing um, Woody and, and Pete, and then uh, and Ed McCurdy, who was one of my favorites, who recorded for Electra. Wow. Um, and uh, then one day I was over at my, my friend's house. Uh, we had a little uh, folk imitation Kingston Trio of our own. And he put on an album and said, listen to this, and it turned out to be um, The Weavers at Carnegie Hall that was recorded Christmas Eve 1956. That must have been mind-blowing. And, well, it did. I mean, I've, I subsequently had a chance to tell each one of the weavers, you know, to, I, thank you for spoiling my life. Uh, <laughs> because by the end of that uh, side B of that of that LP, uh, 
I had undergone a chromosomal change, and I, I had gone from someone who loved this stuff to someone who had to do it. It was just a, it was a tremendous. And I'm not the only one. I mean, Peter Yero told me he was actually at that concert, and it, it had the same effect on him. The spirit of it, of, of of most of the Weavers albums, but especially a couple of those live ones, yeah. is extraordinary. Not only that, the range of it. I mean, it goes from uh, a children's song, um, "Hush, little baby, don't say a word," uh, to a love song like "Kisses Sweeter Than Wine," uh, raucous, uh, you know, when the saints go marching in, songs from the Spanish Civil War. Uh, an Indonesian lullaby. Good grief! It was it was uh, one amazing song after another. Sponsor me, Dave's gone by. Run your ad, folks will buy. If you wanna reach the public, sponsor me. Advertise on this program for incredibly reasonable rates with long-term discounts. See prices at davesgoneby.com or call five one six two nine five one five one one. Sponsor me if you're wise. On Dave's Gone By, you'll advertise. If you wanna be successful, sponsor me. I'd like to propose a toast. Big deal. I'd like to propose a toasty, a tasty, toasty sub sandwich from Quiznos, like spicy Monterey Club, mesquite chicken, or smoked turkey on rosemary parmesan bread, all made with quality ingredients like freshly sliced premium meats, crisp vegetables, and rich melted cheeses. And the bread, oven toasted artisan bread the old fashioned way. At Quiznos, you can sip a soft drink or one of their flavorful hearty soups. They've also got desserts and snacks, or you can keep an eye on carbs with toasty flatbreads and fresh, craveable salads like Roadhouse Ranch and Yin Yang Chicken. Aren't they the best? They sure are. Quiznos, now with a new store in Hewlett, Long Island, 1320 Broadway. Mention Dave's Gone By and get 10% off your meal. I'll drink to that. Everybody rock! Almost time to leave the neighborhood on this Thursday, September 30th, but some notes and reminders and thank yous first. 
First of all, I want to encourage you to visit Crimes of the Heart, the season opener at Off-Broadway's T. Schreiber Studio. Beth Henley's Tony-nominated Pulitzer Prize-winning comedy is all about a trio of loopy southern sisters, and they gather together in times of crisis. If you've only seen the movie, you owe it to yourselves to give the play a try. Crimes of the Heart opens tonight and runs through October 24th at T. Schreiber Studio, 151 West 26th Street, 212-352-3101 for tickets, 352-3101. The founder of T. Schreiber Studio, Terry Schreiber, was my guest on Dave's Gone By back in January, so I'm extra happy to give him a plug and bring my listeners to his theater. And speaking of theater, don't forget that you can get 10% off a subscription to Performing Arts Insider just by mentioning Dave's Gone By. Visit TotalTheater.com for details, and visit Dave'sGoneBy.com for links to our other two terrific sponsors who also offer the 10% deal. Quiznos of Hewlett, tasty soups and sandwiches and snacks, and right across the street, Hewlett Minuteman Press for all your printing, binding, copying, laminating, and Mexican hat unblocking needs. And if your needs include listening to fun radio... Keep your dial at WGBB all week long for several other cool programs on this station. For example, Mike Shimeri, Light Jazz on the Instrumental Invasion, Tuesday nights at 9, and that is moving, by the way, in two weeks to directly follow this show on Thursdays at 8, so I welcome Michael to the Thursday lineup here in two weeks. Also, giving a plug to Joyce Keller, radio psychic and basic feel-good advisor taking your phone calls since 1987. Probably the biggest name we have here on the station, Joyce Keller, Wednesday nights at 11. WGBB Tonight with Larry Davidson, Thursdays at 6. Long Island's Dating with comedian Bonnie D. Graham, Fridays at 6. And then the weekends, the Mr. Redman Music Show, unsigned Long Island bands playing their stuff and yakking with the Redman, Saturdays, 7.30 to 9, followed by Mikey and Jimmy, off-the-wall young comedy, Saturdays at 9, and finish your weekend with the one and only Joe Salzone, talking politics on your world, Sunday nights at 7. And you can also hear Joe on Monday evenings, doing special election coverage now through November 4th. So, tune in for that as well. And stay tuned, please, for the next hour, where once again I go into my all-music mode with an extra 60 minutes, not of Dave's gone by, but just Dave, playing a musical salute to such birthday celebrants as Lindsey Buckingham, Johnny Mathis, and Don McLean. Well, thank you, Engineer Tom Ross, for the use of the hall. Thank you, Joyce Weil, for being my wonderful, wonderful wife. And thank you, St. Francis Hospital, for getting my Auntie Esther better so quick. And happy anniversary to my in-laws, Larry and Rosemary Weil. Thanks to the folks at Appleseed Records and Tom Paxton's management for setting up my interview with the Marvelous T, and to Mr. T himself, Tom Paxton, for his time, his humor, and 41 years and counting of smart, funny, pretty, wise, and gentle songs. There's still more interview left from our chat, which I promise to bring you in the weeks ahead. If anybody's worth a part three, it's Tom P. So listen for that. Probably not next week. I should have another special guest on the program then. Whom, you ask? Find out next Thursday, October 7th, on the 96th edition of Dave's Gone By. Until then, don't miss your days going by. 
This is Dave Lefkowitz. Good night. Happy Jewish holidays. Never give a sukkah an even break. And gone by. Outward bound Upon a ship that sails no ocean Outward bound It has no crew but me and you all alone When just a minute ago the shore was filled with people With people that we knew Outward bound Upon a journey without ending Outward bound Uncharted waters beneath our bow Far behind The green familiar shore is fading into time And time has left us now So farewell adieu so long, wife and Dios. May they find whatever they are looking for. Remember when the wine was better than ever again. We could not ask, we could not ask for more. Outward bound. Upon a ship with tattered sail Outward bound Along a crooked lonesome trail Things we learn We'll just be satisfied in knowing And we'll tell it to our kids as a fairy tale So farewell adieu So long via Candio May they find whatever they are looking for Remember when the wine was better than ever again We could not ask, we could not ask for more We could not ask, we could not ask for more